wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening. We're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, especially if you're sitting in traffic or maybe you're at the gym or on a run working out. Maybe you're one of our geeks in sneaks letting us help you power through. We're going to be with you for 90 plus minutes in your ear holes because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. Completely free, thanks to our sponsors this week, Mac Weldon, Mac Weldon, and Linode. They made that possible, bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the show all about games in their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis, the guy who's ready for anything this week, right, Christian? <laughs> Christian Spicer. Um, we are doing this early. It is Saturday if you're listening to the RSS. So if there's late-breaking Sunday or early morning Monday news, this is why we're missing it. And thank you. Um, I won't reveal our guest yet. I know you ha- you like to do that, Jeff. But thank you both for accommodating <laughs> my schedule. I am on the road and can't do our usual Monday time. So I am, yes, ready for anything except for late breaking news <laughs> yeah yeah hopefully there isn't stuff that breaks monday that we would normally cover but if so we'll cover it next week we've got a lot it's a little bit of an e3 hangover episode we'll probably pick up a few strangler e3 topics uh, straggler or strangler did i say strangler <laughs> i feel maybe like e3 strangled me a little bit uh, <laughs> um but i'm really excited because uh, i think we're going to talk a lot of uh, a lot of vr this week because christian came over to my house I showed him my Oculus for the first time, and also we have – does that sound dirty? Sure. I strangled him with my Oculus. That's not right. Um, we also have a guest that I've been trying to get on the show for a long time, uh, Mr. VR in a lot of ways. You know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata, your downloadable Christian. This week, I'm excited because DLC stands for Dodecahedron of Lifestyle and Culture because from Polygon.com – we have one of my very favorite voices in games media, Mr. Ben Gachera. Hey, Ben. Hey, that's, that is quite the introduction. I'll try to live up to it. Yeah, man. I, I, we, we've been going back and forth for months and months. I've been wanting to have you on the, on the show for a long time because uh, I am such a fan of all of the stuff you do at Polygon. But most, most particularly, your coverage of VR has been stellar. Well, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm a big uh, fan of the medium like you, and um, I, uh, I, I love your discussion of it. And I've been wanting to have a discussion between, between the three of us for a long time on the show. So um, is, I think this is going to be a really fun episode. I know some of our audience tire of me talking endlessly about VR, but you know, <laughs> it, it, we're going to make an exception this week because uh, we had a whole week of E3 last week and the week before. Um, and, uh, I think there was a lot of red meat on that, on that, uh, you know, on that tip. So let's, uh, let's d- dive into that, but let's start the show the way we always do with story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by using the hashtag DLCSOTW on Twitter or by using our subreddit, which is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Uh, great discussion there this week. I really appreciate everybody who posted. Um, ben, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. So what would you consider to be your story of the week? 
you know, I, I feel like I'm, I'm bringing it already back around to VR, but I, I really do think that the news that Oculus dropped, uh, the hardware check in the latest uh, Windows 10 runtime is... It's it's so inside baseball and kind of hard to describe even what all of those words mean in that sequence. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think it's super important, and I, I think it speaks to a lot of really interesting issues in VR. Um, do either of you two want to run that down, or do you? Sure. Want me to- yeah. I mean, it's it's been something that's been been bubbling for a few weeks now. Basically, there was this this program uh, that Oculus classified as a hack called Revive, which allowed users of the Vive hardware to play Oculus exclusive games on their headsets as well. And a, a recent update to the to the software um, created a uh, basically a DRM check to make sure you had the correct headset on to be able to play those games. And uh, the Revive software kind of flagged it as being, you know, hey, you're, you're wearing a Vive. You're not wearing an Oculus. You're not allowed to play these games. They, this went in direct opposition to statements publicly that uh, Palmer Lucky had said about how they didn't care which headset you use to play VR as long as VR was popular, which, of course, caused a massive uproar. Hey, man, I don't, I don't care. What, I mean, what your mom does, you know, that's not up to me, dude. I'm the cool dad. I come by on Fridays and Thursdays, and <laughs> you do what you want, man. Well, that's kind of how he positioned himself. Like, hey, we're, we're going to be so, you know, uh, consumer-friendly. We, want, we just want VR to succeed. We don't care what headset. If our headset or somebody else's headset, we don't care. Just play VR games. Uh, and then, of course, in practice, they did the opposite of that, and that created a massive backlash online. Um, a lot of very angry Vive people kind of took up Vive as the the people's headset, you know, <laughs> Steam being this big open platform and, and Oculus being the closed platform. And it sounds like that backlash worked because they didn't really make much fanfare out of it. But quietly this week, a new update came through removing that check and allowing wow. Revive to, to work again. There's there's one other part of that, though, and that's where Revive posted, I don't know if it was a note or, or how exactly they posted it, but they were like, hey, uh, now just go hack all the games. Here's how you're going to hack the games. Like it was, it was a chess move by both sides, right, where Oculus kind of blocked them out, and then Revive was like, okay, you're going to play that way? Well, here's a way just to break it and go get it anyway if you want to do that kind of thing. And then it seems like that with a combination of you know, the outcry Oculus backtrack, but they also, like you said, there was no, they did publicly confirm that they made the change, but they also said we're committed to protecting our games. So it's, I don't know where we stand. Well, Ben, you did a bunch of reporting on this on Polygon. So what's your perspective? So the the creator of Revive did say like, if you're going to, if you're going to play the DRM game, we're just going to crack your DRM. So it basically opened the door for a lot of piracy, some of which I believe was already happening, but then it was out in the open. You could download Revive and it would basically completely open the rift and any games that were purchased through Oculus Home. So it it really was like a a software, an escalation, right? Like they didn't, the uh, person who uh, created Revive didn't, I get the sense really want to crack DRM in this way. But they're like, listen, like we think it should be open. So if you're going to play that game, once Oculus walked back the hardware check, 
Revive did the same thing. They're like, listen, we're going to re-release the software without the DRM cracking. We're going to delete all of that. Obviously, it still exists out there in some form. But they're like, okay, they de-escalated. We're de-escalating as well. But like, it's pretty cool. I think could have yeah, been a step for him to make. It was it was cool for everybody. But I, I think the question is, and this is why I find this story so fascinating, is that no one, including based on this kind of two step move where they invented the DRM and then they or they in, put the DRM, the hardware check in, and then took it off. No one knows what the Oculus Rift is, and I don't think Oculus knows what the Oculus Rift is. Is this a peripheral for your PC? In which case, it should work on everything, right? It should work on yeah. all VR things everywhere. Is the Oculus Rift a console, like the PlayStation, where we don't expect it to play Xbox One games? Um, no one knows. And I think Oculus doesn't really know what the audience's expectations are. Um, I think the Vive, which is created by Valve and HTC, are in this kind of weird place where Valve doesn't really need the, the Vive to make money. Uh, they have this this program. It's it's a little indie program. It's called Steam. Like, <laughs> I've been giving a lot of my money to that program this week right. with the Steam sale. And, and Valve, in a lot of ways, is basically PC gaming. If you buy a game on Steam, they get 30% of it off the top. Yeah. Um, so they can like create amazing hardware and go, oh, it's going to be all the way open because we are completely rich and we own PC gaming. And as long as you're buying your VR games from Steam, Valve doesn't really – they don't care where you play it because they make money off the software. Yeah. That's, that's where Valve kind of has their little monopoly. So it's – I think that's super interesting, and I agree with everything that you said. How I don't quite understand it is from the console standpoint where you know Sony makes the bulk of their money or Microsoft from games sold on their console. And so – is it just because they can't capture that money if they allow games to be sold on another console? Like, you know what I mean? Uh, well, this Oculus is coming out is, very messy. But. Oculus is putting up a lot of money to make games on VR. They're offering developers yeah. a lot of money to help finish their games. So, you know, they're out of pocket on this. It's not just like, hey, you, you made a game for our device and we don't want anybody else to play it. It's like, no, we, we have a financial stake in those games and we want that to pr- – we, we invested in them for one purpose, and that was to promote our thing that we're selling. So I kind of could understand their position, but Ben brings up several ec- excellent points. Um, I, you know, I, one of the things I've been saying is it's kind of like if, like, you know, I I bought a BenQ monitor and there were games exclusive to my monitor. You know, it's like a it's a display device, right? It's a it's a monitor for for lack of a better term, and it. To have an exclusive thing to a display device does feel a little odd, but I also think it's strange that all the people that were decrying Oculus for having exclusives didn't bat an eyelash when all these PSVR exclusives got announced at E3 because that's just that paradigm. Like, that's just how console games work. So I think Ben is correct in in bringing up, like, well, what is this thing, and why do people sort of create these arbitrary lines in the sand of what is okay and what is not okay? Um, I'm certainly not defending Oculus because I think for the most part, it's, it's really more of a messaging problem. Like Palmer Lucky, don't go out in the media and make these broad statements if you're going to completely do the opposite of it because you're hoisted on your own petard that way, you know? 
Well, I guess my, my question, and now that I've had time to, to think about it, is is there a world where Nintendo, we'll just use them as the example, becomes a third-party publisher, but you are only able to buy Nintendo games from store.nintendo.com digitally, so they still get their 30% cut of whatever they would get at retail, but then you can play it on a PC, Xbox, or a PlayStation. Is that the future we're getting to because everybody you just want the storefront costs or the, the well, that's not system the costs here. that's not the issue here oculus you can buy oculus exclusive games on steam you just have to in, in pre- previous to this new update you just had to play them on an oculus headset so they don't care how you buy it they, you can buy it from their store or somebody else's mm. store they just want you to not be able to play it on somebody else's hardware but and they, if it's that's changed and if it's exclusive to the Oculus Rift, if it's a game that they paid X amount of money for, if they wrote a check for it, that game's not going to Steam. You're not. You're. There's right. never going to be a future in in the near term, at least, where you're picking up Lucky's Tale from Steam. Right. You know, it's like they they have that on lockdown. And I, I think the bigger question is, if you are Oculus and you are pushing virtual reality and you are owned by Facebook. I would be super curious to know where in the next three years they're expecting to make their money. Um, they said publicly they're not making money on hardware. So there's no profit margin there. So if everyone is buying their, their Rift games from Steam and they're not making money from their own storefronts, how is this a profitable business? Like, mm. there's so little proprietary in the Rift. Is it data tracking? I mean, that was the uh, that was the first big hubbubaloo of the Rift when it came out. And it was, you know, you develop something for the Rift, we own it. How you use the Rift, you agree to let us know everything about it. Which, and I haven't followed it that closely since then. But is that, I mean, is that the Facebook future? They just want to know uh, what part of the rug you're looking at. <laughs> I, I think there was, there was so much kerfluffle about that. And I, I went to websites that really fear-mongered uh, that language on the end-user licensing agreement. And then cut and pasted the the cookie statement from those websites. And it's like, you, you realize that the site you're saying <laughs> hey, Facebook should never track you, you are tracking people in the same way. Like we all carry microphones attached to GPS devices with cameras in our pockets that we know the government can access at any given time. Like if you're worried about being tracked, I got terrible news. That ship done sailed, son. Like you are, <laughs> you, we know you're being tracked every website you go to has to basically say how you're being tracked. And while it is, there's a thing that happens, I think with new technology where old fears become almost scary again. And so it's like the tracking is the same way people like, what if I disappear in VR and people get addicted to it and it's this whole new thing. And it's like, well, we went through that with, you know, video games. We went through that with pinball. We went through that. I lost later. my mom to pinball, Ben. <laughs> that, that'll happen. <laughs> I mean, it goes all the way back to like, you know, this, this scary aspect of jazz music. It's like every time there's a new thing that like older people don't understand, I, I think it's like one of four fears we're going to get regurgitated. Yeah. So I think I don't you're spot think, on. I, and yeah. and I, I think there's a little aspect of this, this feeling that I'm also isolated in VR and people have this kind of abstract fear that because I can't see my surroundings, my real surroundings in VR, I'm, I'm somehow more vulnerable to being tracked or being spied upon. And it's, it, it really doesn't have much basis in reality, but, but there's, you know, I, I tend to be pretty laissez faire about my data being tracked anyway. And, and maybe that's something I shouldn't be. I don't know. 
I, I think the other aspect of it is if you do feel strongly about tracking, and a lot of people do to the point where they like they they you know they clean their their system of cookies and they have they go through different websites and they they try to keep as clean a profile as possible. There is a point to be made that like, as since VR is a new technology, we could almost see it as a new beachhead where we can push back from expected tracking and be like, listen, we kind of lost this war when it came to our web browsers, but maybe we can refight it with VR. Hmm. And, and, And I think that's, there's a, there's an argument to be made there where it's like, well, we can refight this battle because we kind of lost it by default when, the internet happened because we didn't know it was going on. And I think we're a little bit savvier now. That's I think that our perspective, yeah. that argument has a ton of merit, but that argument is not what I see reflected when I read headlines. It's like the Oculus Rift is tracking everything you do. It can see you in your sleep. This is the Orwellian nightmare you're read about. And you know, it's yeah. like, no, like calm down there. There is nuance to this, this discussion and it's not 100% scary in my opinion. Uh, I, you know, I, I, it's fascinating, and I think it's a it's a great discussion to be had. It, we've kind of wandered a field of this news story a bit, and I'd like to circle back to that <laughs> because I do think this is kind of a a positive step, and it 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 does seem to me, and I, I wonder what your perspective is, Ben. Um, it does seem to me that it it is an indication that they are at least listening to their consumer base and, and not kind of you know, ruling over it with an iron fist, but maybe it's more what Christian was saying is that it's more about the bottom line even here. What is your, what is your thought? I think, I, I think what a lot of, and I get the sense right now that Oculus is floundering in a lot of ways that they didn't expect this sort of pushback they're getting on things like exclusive. They didn't expect the thing, the pushback they got on things like the hardware check. And I can, uh, almost 100% guarantee Oculus did not expect to be launching within like a week of the Vive. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when they were developing this consumer technology and when they were talking about price points and when Facebook bought the company and they were going through this long multi-year you know, process to launch, I don't really think there was a scenario they ran where it's like, well, what if Valve has a really cool, really high-quality consumer-ready VR hardware platform that they launched right next to us like that changed everything suddenly they are on the defensive when it comes to controls because the vive comes with you know motion controls yeah Uh, they have room scale so you can get up and walk around and that's something that the rift is kind of playing with and can do really interesting stuff when you add the second sensor for the the touch controllers which are coming later but I really do get the sense that Oculus always believed that they would have a little bit of room to breathe before they had strong competition. And it, in no way did that happen. Yeah. So now suddenly they're in this, this kind of competitive space working in a medium that is 100% brand new. There is no – you can't look at television. You can't look at radio. You can't look at – there's nothing analogous to what VR brings. It really is a new thing, and there's no rule book for any of this. Yeah. So everyone has to figure out what the audience wants, what's what they expect, how open they need their their platform to be. And Sony has this really great advantage with PlayStation VR in that we don't expect our consoles to be open. We're not going to buy a PlayStation VR going, this better play all my Steam VR games. Right. We just expect it to play PlayStation VR games because that's – Kind of how we've been trained by consoles. Yeah. And it's just every everyone is learning about this space. And 
from kind of a tech level outside of the controls, there is not a lot of difference between an HTC Vive and an Oculus Rift. I've talked to developers who said like in terms of, you know, the APIs and in terms of creating games for these platforms and using the hardware that they're nearly 100% identical. So people think there's a huge difference in platform the same way there used to be, you know, between like the Super Nintendo and the Sega Genesis, even though now even modern consoles are like a slightly different computer jammed in a different box. But these two VR platforms are incredibly similar outside of the control scheme. So how do you differentiate yourself? Like, what it's, is that? It's interesting is to it me, console? you know, as somebody who's, who's very tied into the, you know, the online chatter and, you know, I'm in the, the Reddit pages for Vive and Oculus on a daily basis and I'm, I'm really tied into this, this emerging scene. It's just so interesting to me that somehow, I guess by virtue of their association with, with Valve – uh, this this cell phone company HTC has become <laughs> the flag bearer of the open movement and the you know from uh, you know which is a very small community of of VR uh, early adopters there really is this palpable sense that Oculus which started out as a grassroots Kickstarter that little engine that could. Um, but because of the fact that they got purchased by Facebook and some of these bad messaging and missteps in the in the launch has become Big Brother and the the sort of uh, representative of everything that's wrong with the way these things are rolling out. And Vive has become, you know, if you are it's the people's choice, you know, it's like the 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 great populist VR platform, while Oculus sort of is the enemy uh, in in a lot of ways, and I. I don't think that's particularly fair or particularly accurate, but it's interesting to me that it has sort of happened that way. Well, I think like uh, another way to look at that, I think that's really interesting is, you know, here's Vive and Steam uh, hand in hand launching a VR platform with no notable, I mean, some, no, no, I shouldn't say no notable, without as many meaty VR games. So of course they want access to the other meaty games that oculus has spent the money on it's like you know if we take it back to the console analogy which isn't quite right but it's you know if genesis came out and was like yeah and guess what you can play all your super nintendo games on our system we're only launching with one game sonic but you want to play mario play it dude play it we're so cool and it's kind of like well well no in that light like no you make good games for your stuff (laughs) don't make it so i play other people's games that seems weird well I mean, this kind of circles back to how Ben started this conversation, which is, is it a console or is it a display device? Is it a, isn't it a is it a peripheral? Um, right. In the, in the chat, W. Matthew says, <laughs> PC is an open platform, end of story. And I think that's what people think. It's something I... Microsoft is trying to make it not, well, to some extent. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Because someone else in the chat earlier said, you know, their goal is to just make 30% or whatever it is selling you games on PC... And then, oh, you can play it on your Xbox too. But I mean, that's not open. And a lot of times those games, so far, the few we have, don't even give you the full options that you would have, you'd expect in a PC game to optimize your frames per second or whatever. It's it's a weird world right now. And what I think is interesting is that the PC is an open platform, but where people go to buy PC games isn't. Um, everyone... Is everyone is kind of like ideally super into the idea of an open platform, but whenever you put an open platform next to a walled garden, the walled garden almost always wins. Uh, Steam is huge. Yeah. 
you know, you can't buy Overwatch anywhere. You can buy Overwatch on consoles and through Blizzard store. So I can absolutely look at the, look at the profits that iPhone that Apple has made with the iPhone that it's, it's just, it's bonkers. So the PC is an open platform, but within that platform, there is like space for people to carve out their own little walled gardens. That being said, no one at Oculus, and I don't think a lot of people in the VR community, expected the pushback from trying to create a walled garden in VR. And it could be it's completely reasonable to attempt that. It could be Oculus really needs a walled garden to make a profit. And it also could be none of that matters because the audience pushback is so severe, the vibe just takes it. I mean, business isn't fair. If the ultimate if the ultimate like vote from consumer is that we want to buy one VR headset that works everywhere and the vibe is like, absolutely we're in, that's the, you know, that's the end of the story. You can't convince people to, to close down around a peripheral and have it act like a console if they haven't bought into it yet. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting to see how the touch rollout is handled. Um, because I hope, I hope they've learned a lot from, from the original, you know, roll out of the headset itself. Um, but it's something that we'll, we'll definitely be talking about a lot more. Um, I, you know, I, I find all this stuff very fascinating and it, 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 as you said, it is, they're writing the rules as we go because it's, there's not been never nothing like this before. It's, it's completely new. Christian, uh, you got a story of the week? Well, I want to say before I dive into the real one, I told you this before we started, but, um, I haven't been a PC gamer or, or back in it for very long. But I'm, you know, I'm back running on the new rig. I got a Death Adder mouse, the Overwatch branded, paid $10 more for it. <laughs> and the cool thing about it, though, is I was... extra wins in Overwatch from that 10 bucks. Boy, did I. I was playing with some with some listeners. We were in a, we squatted up. And then just randomly, Sorak One, who's in the chat right now and has you know, a listener, was on the other team. What? We didn't even know we were playing against each other. Guess who was my first ad to my death adder? Yeah, that's right, Sorak. Boom. You got owned, so what man. What you're basically telling me is that listeners to our show enjoy our show so much that they'll throw games for you, Christian? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, they'll randomly play Overwatch hoping to stink, just in case. <laughs> they'll, they'll let you kill them just to be nice to you? Mm-hmm. Wow. Just in case a Farah is playing not the way you should play, and they're like, I bet that's Spicer. Let me go take a kit. Let me go die for him. <laughs> um, uh, but anyway, that was fun. It was like a cool, nice moment. We were like, oh, and then we squatted up and had a couple, of, and then I started winning because Sorok's good. Uh, <laughs> um, the, I think for me, the biggest story of the week, and it happens time and time again, and unfortunately, it's negative more often than not. It feels like Mighty Number no. Nine is out, yay, but not. I mean, it's out. And it did not get good reviews. Uh, it's it's um, they had said that in hindsight, launching consecutively on ten platforms or concurrently on ten platforms was probably a mistake. There's a, a misattributed quote. It looks like now of Infune saying it's better than nothing, which now people are saying he didn't say. That was someone else that said, but he His was translator. there. Translator. His translator. Evidently, this guy hires a translator that likes to editorialize while he's translating, <laughs> which is. Pretty much the only thing a translator should not do. Right, yeah. Oh, he says it's nice to be here. Basically, yo, it's all his fault, bro. Um, it's like your one job is to not is to say exactly what I said and not add any, <laughs> dude. Anyway, it's ridiculous that yeah. it happened this way. But then after the misattributed quote came out, 
so one, this is multi, this is an onion too. One, Mighty Number no. Nine apparently is awful. I have not played it, but I hear it's awful. Two, uh, interpreters gone wild, you know, showing their boobies to cameras at spring break. Three, because of interpreters gone wild, we have the, the larger piece where people are upset wondering how much time he actually spent on this game because he also has his fingers in other games. So they had to release a statement saying, what a game director does in this job, or, or at least in this instance, and he was very involved, but at some point he needs to leave and then the game just happens. And it's the Kickstarter world of gaming, Jeff and Ben, is insane because I think there's still this world where people release a game, but then because of the way it's funded, they need to keep giving this information back to them. Like, could you imagine this type of access to a game 10 years ago where the developer has to do a live stream apology, basically? It's crazy. Before the game is even out. That, that's the craziest thing to me is the live stream happened before the game was available to people and they were already apologizing for it, which is a little nuts. But It's crazy. So I don't know if either of you have played the game, but I, I think the story is just insane. And, and it's like, I, I think what, what I think is fascinating about this is like, Kickstarter has kind of turned us all into really cruddy publishers <laughs> where we're like, we are the evil people now. And I, I was talking to someone and I was like, I wonder why people kickstart like spiritual sequels. And I wonder why they kickstart with like well-known people who could probably raise the funding either way. And he was like, well, it mitigates risk. Like these people know how to make games. It's in a well-proven genre. I was like, and you are now the publisher you've complained about your entire life only giving money to safe bets and sequels. Yeah. It's like, good point. We're, all, we're, we're all there now. We're all cruddy <laughs> publishers. We're all mitigating risks at, at $20 instead of however many millions of dollars the publisher would have put out. It's like it's it's ridiculous how quickly we've become the cigar chomping executives, you know, talking about how we could have done it better and like, you know, what we want out of these games and how we expect them to be created to our liking. That is such a great point. I've never really heard, thought about it that way. But it's, yeah, everybody's like, where's our new, bold, interesting IP that is doing something fresh and, and new? And, oh, my God, throw my money at that thing that's 20 years old. That is a, <laughs> you know, it's like, what? Yeah, that is really a good point. And it's like with, with the whole Shenmue thing, it's like they're still, they're still beating the drum for money. They're like, well, if we get 20 million more, we can really do the game we wanted to make, even though we raised however many millions. And it's like, oh, you Suzuki, shut up. You have, <laughs> you have all the money. And he, he said that quote about like, we actually need however many more millions. And then the Kickstarter ended having broken records. And I wrote a story like, I'm sorry you all failed you Suzuki by not raising the amount of money he expected. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it it puts the fan in such a weird place, and now that these games are launching, yeah, it's it's super strange. I don't I don't like it. I don't like any of it. Well, you know, my, I also, Mighty Number no. Nine raised uh, what uh, four million? four million? Yeah, and yeah, and that was they said sixty percent of the budget. So it was an order of magnitude more than they asked for. It was set records at the time for the most you know money, whatever in X number of days, whatever. And yet, almost half of the money it took to make a broken game that most people don't like wasn't the Kickstarter. Oh. 
So it's a little, and and it was broken. We should say, I mean, it it, evidently the Wii version like bricked a bunch of Wii's, and there was all kinds of (laughs) problems, you know, just technical problems that they came up with. And you know, this comes from talk about feature creep. You know, this comes from like needing to promise more to keep that money train rolling at the beginning. There's this weird thing with Kickstarter where we need to keep having these stretch goals. And that that like has built in feature creep before you've even started the actual feature creep, you know. And this is a game that comes from someone who makes this type of game, right? I mean, this isn't even someone who was in the chat. Simon West eighty says in Star Citizen, we're talking about feature creep, and that game started out as a game from someone who knows how to make the genre. But I mean, this was Mega Man made by the guy who made Mega Man, and he couldn't even make Mega Man. Like, how are we supposed <laughs> to expect someone that can't make? You know, it's it's insane to me. And then the other half of it is, I feel like it's a danged if you do, danged if you don't situation where because if you back a game, you're rooting for it to some extent, I think. And then if it comes out, I feel like there's almost it's hard to be in the middle because you're either like uh, defensive of it. Yeah, it's not bad, guys. I mean, come on. What do we expect? It's it's like Mega. It's enough like Mega Man. Or you're on the other side of the fence and you're like, this is complete crap. I feel betrayed. And it it's really, really divisive, I think. And we're going to see who other people are signing off, sounding off in the chat, too, where, uh, oh, what was it? Uh, da, da, da. Oh, System Shock. The, the remake of System Shock is, you know, going public. Um, we already mentioned Shenmue 3. It's uh, it's crazy. And then not to mention uh, uh, Psychonauts 2 was FIG funded. Um, I don't know, man. I just want more God of War reimagined. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Which is, you know... If if God of War was kickstarted, it wouldn't be that game, right? It'd have to be more of the same God of War you wanted because it'd be God of War extension, a hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, it's interesting. Um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I mean, uh, the third story that that I would bring up is another kind of meaty moral <laughs> quandary. Um, so I don't, I don't. We don't need to spend a ton of time on it, but it does. It is a pretty deep, interesting story, and it's this. This lawsuit that's being brought against Valve, another Valve story here, um, from a Counter-Strike player who is, is bringing a class action suit over the gambling in CSGO. Now, we have seen in you know, the last months and years that there's big, massive resurgence from Counter-Strike Go, uh, and a lot of people are attributing that to this wagering uh, culture that has grown up around the eSport of it and the fact that basically what you could do is you can get these skins, farm skins in the game and get these, you know, varying rare uh, skins and uh, then trade them for money or trade them to players for other skins and people are using them as basically uh, chips, you know, gambling chips and and using them as a way to transfer money between one another, uh, gambling on games, on esport games uh, of of I sound like an old person. Esport games, <laughs> uh, game matches of CS:GO that are played by professionals, um, and basically the the lawsuit cites the fact that the majority of this activity is being done by people who are below the legal age of gambling in anywhere that gambling is actually legal, and not only that, but gambling online is illegal. Um, so there's a lot of it's a very deep, dense issue, and uh, the fact that Valve is the one at, that is being sued 
is interesting because basically all Valve is doing is creating a means by which people can engage in an illegal activity. They don't, they aren't, and they are profiting from it directly and indirectly. You know, if you talk about gambling on the NFL or the NBA or something, they're all, you know, benefiting indirectly from that activity. It's making their, their sport more, uh, more profitable because more people are watching, but not because they're actually getting any money off the top of these, these, uh, these wagers. But so if you said your same sentence without the word basically in front of it, it sounds way more damning. It's just interesting the way, you know, I think I see how you're come across on this. I mean, basically all they're doing is facilitating illegal gambling. Well, they're, they're, they are creating a system by which people can exploit it for these means. They are not. Right. And unfortunately, they are also taking money off the top of every transaction that people are doing, which they are using to gamble. But there's nothing. And Go ahead. Well, uh, former lawyer, not current lawyer, nothing I say is your legal advice. They're the whale and they're the hopeful settlement, right? I mean, that's, that's what they are. So you think, they're, you the think big, that, they're the big checkbook. You think that this is, they are culpable here? No, I don't. I mean, I, I, I don't, the area, the area, the idea of, you know, facilitating a crime or allowing a known crime to happen in which you are profiting off of it and you're aware of the illegal activity, you know, to some of that was, um, oh, come on, uh, Pirate Bay, like all of the internet world of this is weird and people trying to, you know, wipe their hands of it even by saying, well, we're not even doing anything. It's peer-to-peer. We have this thing. But what Valve is doing isn't that, right? It's not strictly peer-to-peer. They're much more involved in that. And there are cases that have said that even peer-to-peer is illegal and not allowed. So I think there's potential for culpability. I don't know the specifics of the case well enough, but I know why Valve is named in the lawsuit. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're also, I mean, yeah, you, as you said, that the whale that has money for people to sue. So you get, you right. get that. I, yeah. Anyway. And at some point, they're willing to settle this because going to court's expensive. It's just expensive. What, what's your take on this, Ben? You know, from a, from F- a you know, go ahead. Every aspect of this is weird. And you know what the great thing about being a pop culture critic is? I don't have to say a disclaimer before I talk about pop culture things. <laughs> Forever a former lawyer, it's the worst. You can't just quit. The only way out is to be disbarred, and that's not worth it. I'm forever inactive, and I have to pay hundreds of dollars a year to be inactive. It's oh a scam, gosh. you guys. Sorry, go ahead. So outside of the, the scam profession of being a lawyer, apparently. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's just so strange that, like... Well, for one, it's 2016, and like I, I played Counter Strike back in like Beta Six because I'm super old, <laughs> and and it's like the fact that I'm like you know in my 30s and we're talking about the legal ramifications of Counter Strike, and I'm excited about Star Wars again. It's like nothing's changed in the past <laughs> 15 years, yeah. you know. It's and the pop culture landscape. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all static. We're not learning anything. No one's moving forward. Um, <laughs> Counter-Strike has such a weird culture, right? Like this new version of Counter-Strike with the skins and how much they're worth. And I just play CSGO with friends for fun every now and again. But like, you know, my oldest son was telling me about how like the whole skin community and the YouTube and it's like people like unwrap skins on YouTube and this is a whole thing and they're worth incredible amounts of money. I just it makes me feel very old. There's not a single aspect of Counter-Strike now that I understand. It all scares me, and I'm yelling at the clouds at this point. Yeah, but, you know, when we were kids, people were, you know, 
getting mugged to steal their Yu-Gi-Oh cards. You know, it's it's there's a perceived way. Or the, sure, you're old, you're older than Yu-Gi-Oh. It was Muscle Men or something else. Like, you don't get to <laughs> yeah, my you don't get to throw Ben and I under the old man. You're coming with jacket. us. It was my. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like the other aspect of it is you know I I can see why Valve is being named. It's I don't think. I'm seeing some of, some of the conversation around here. Like Valve is using, I don't think Valve is using this as a profit base. It's not like Valve is looking like you know how we can really inflate them profits <laughs> is to get in the kitty gambling pool. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I understand the mechanism all goes through Valve, but I don't think there's malice. I don't think there's a there's a brain trust inside of Valve that they're like this gambling thing is. And the other thing is if. It's it's not completely analogous, but if you look at like um, the real money applications of games like Eve Online, right? Where right. if th- this is a really freaking Candy Crush for Christ's sakes, yeah. You know, I mean, what's the difference between that and gambling? It's but with with Eve Online, and this is a deep rabbit hole that I really want to skip over like a rock a- across a-, a pond. There's an item called Plex that you buy for fifteen dollars and. Plex is a month of playtime, which we know has value. It's also an in-game item that you can trade or sell for in-game currency. So what CCP did by giving this item its worth a month of playtime, it locks it to a real-world monetary value because everyone pays $15 per month, right? And they are very, very strict about you can plow thousands of dollars into Plex, and then sell it for in-game currency, but you cannot in any way sell Plex for real-world currency and take your money out of the game. It's supposed to be like a, a, a Valve, if you'll excuse the pun, that only opens one way. So it's not like other games aren't kind of, you know, teasing the idea of, like, these items being worth real money, because they are. Right. I don't know what makes this special when there's so many other games that allow you to pay real money for items that have real value, but you're never supposed to take the money out, even though, you know, we all know that there are things happening where people are profiting from this. But, you know, I heard somebody explain this as like, if I made a bet with you and I said, if you win, I will buy you five Big Macs. And you said, all right, we'll take that. If you win, I'll, I'll, I'll buy you five Big Macs. And then we, you know, millions of us start wagering Big Macs to each other. And then somebody goes and sues McDonald's for allowing Big Macs to be, you know, part of betting. It's like, well, I can kind of see that perspective too. It's like McDonald's had nothing to do with it. Just because a Big Mac caused X number of dollars doesn't mean – and people decided to use Big Mac as a way to, you know, transfer money to each other. It's 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 complicated. So well, it's complicated, and the people that are deciding these cases are mostly <laughs> far older than us. I mean, <laughs> That's true. Judges in our legal system are fairly smart and fairly objective, but the onus is on the attorneys on both sides to do a lot of educating. And the problem or a hurdle for them is you need to explain it in a way to something else that makes sense. Like so you're Max. trying. Right. Well, seriously, though, that's what each side is going to try to do is tie it back to some real world example that proves their case real world. You know what I mean? A more traditional example. 
and ooh, I mean, it's it's complicated. And the easiest thing to do is is to punt, right? It's just to well, be, then let's no. that's what we should do. Let's just move on because we, you know, it's a little over. There. But okay. I just wanted to bring it up because I think it's fascinating, uh, and we'll, I'm sure we'll be following this and see how it goes because it has the potential of really kind of crushing an entire online culture if if it if it has to be shut down and Valve has to act because all Valve has to do is change their API and not allow all of these third party sites to you know access their data and and use these these skins in the way that they've been using them. So it's a pretty simple fix from Valve's perspective. So if the if the you know the law says they need to change it, it could all end tomorrow. So what would happen if Blizzard turned the loot box from Overwatch into an item that I could give to you? And then we can say, listen, I bet on your local sporting event that's happening because I'm really up on sports, I bet your local sports squadron is going to lose I, I bet you two loot boxes. Right. Like, I, I wonder if, A, that's the reason Blizzard doesn't do that, because they don't want to turn it into an item that can be shuttled back and forth between players, or if that would open them up to potential, you know, liabilities. It's it's interesting to think what happens when these virtual things become something you can trade or give away. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, The virtual economy, guys, it's happening. It's happening. It has already happened. Um, all right. Well, I'm going <laughs> to, we got more, we got games to talk about. So I'm going to, I'm going to set that aside for the moment, even though we solved none of it. And I, I think I'm only more confused now, <laughs> but that's okay. Um, because, uh, I want to talk to you about something that everybody understands and that is underpants guys. Uh, we have a sponsor called Mac Weldon and they, they will sell you, and you can use this to bet. I'm sure Mac Weldon wouldn't be unhappy if you use their underpants as as bargaining chips in a in a global wager. Um, Jeff is neither confirming nor denying that you should use Mac Weldon underpants for betting. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> the point is they're, they're worth they're worth more than their weight in gold. Not necessarily worth that. that. Fact is not true, and Jeff cannot confirm or deny that thing is actually happening. <laughs> Um, because they're so comfortable. They're so comfortable. They sell underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, sweatpants, all the basics, all the stuff that you wear most often, the stuff that you want to be as high quality and comfortable as possible. Here's the irony I find in my own life, and I suspect you might be similar. The stuff that I wear most often and that should be the most important to me, I spend the least amount of time, energy, and money worrying about i go to the stupid store and i buy the stupid 12 pack of whatever and i wear it stupid store is a registered trademark of stupid ink stupid ink is owned by viacom viacom is not actually the owner of stupid store <laughs> they uh you know i i should be spending more more effort on this i should but it's not effort because mac weldon makes it easy it's just attention you just gotta like care about yourself and not Go with the worst stuff. Go with actual quality. Mack Weldon's going to save you because they have premium fabrics, simple online shopping. It's all uh, free shipping. It is great. They have antimicrobial underpants, which means they don't stank. It's great. Also, if you don't like, excuse me, if you don't like your first pair, you can keep them and they'll still refund you. No questions asked. So they're pretty proud of their product. I think they're great. I'm wearing Mack Weldon underpants right this second. It's pretty great. And sitting here in uh, the surface of the sun level heat in Los Angeles, I wouldn't want anything else. It's, it's pretty great. Guess what? Because you listen to this show, we're going to get you 20% off your first order with Mack Weldon. All you got to do is go to MacWeldon.com, put in the promo code DLC when you check out. They give you 20% off. Why not upgrade your basics, feel better, 
smell better, actually take care of yourself and look nice and feel nice, go to MacWeldon.com, M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Use that promo code DLC on checkout. Get 20% off. All right, guys. We're back. Uh, let's move now to the playlist. Ooh, Ben, what uh, what have you got on your playlist this week? You playing any games? Oh gosh, it's 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 bad. It's nothing but Overwatch. It's like I really wish I had some undiscovered indie gem to share with you, <laughs> and really seem like a connoisseur of the the deeper trenches of gaming. But no, I am playing probably the biggest game of the month and enjoying the living heck out of it. It's like. It's not an overrated game. I think it's perfectly rated. Overwatch is so good. I'm interested in your Did thoughts. Did you write Overwatch's review? Oh, <laughs> it's, so, it's so good. Who's, it's, your, who's your main, or who are your mains? And uh, do you um, run with a full squad or kind of jump in solo? I, no, I run, I run with a squad. I run deep. I, we, go, we go six. We go six across the board. Dang. I, so basically, I can't play with you? Cool. Go ahead. I'm, keep going. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a diva player. Um I, I think she's incredibly survivable. I like her alt. I, I like to, you know, I like to do the side and throw her like a like a nuclear bomb. Um, I love the weapon. I love the fact that you can like sit in a hallway and just keep pumping the shotgun rounds, and even though they do no damage, everyone's scared of being hit, so they run. <laughs> like, like the number of players who are willing to duke it out with Diva, even though they would likely win, is like so low that it makes me feel very powerful, even though I'm not. Um, well, I think the smartest thing they did with her is the risk reward of the of the nuke, where if that thing hits, you get it, you respawn immediately, and if you miss, you're dead. I mean, yeah. you're not literally dead, but you're well, you dead, can definitely right? Definitely kill yourself, which I have done far too many times. <laughs> I'd like to admit. Uh, I'm like, you, take this, suckers! Oh wait, where, nowhere to hide, nowhere to hide. Yeah, yeah. I I still like Widowmaker even after the nerf. Um, I, I just started playing Mercy, and I think Mercy is a whole lot of fun. I love I love how many players on the opposite team will will ignore Mercy because she's not firing at them and they don't ping her as a threat even though you're like <laughs> supporting everyone on your team and they can't kill it anyone or everyone. So I think support characters are a whole lot of fun. So yeah, Overwatch. Uh, if you haven't heard of it, it's a little game by Blizzard and Super. Are great. you playing on PC or on console? I'm playing on PC, which is the right way to play. I agree. Um my mouse also, is I am as well, but I've heard the console version is excellent. I just haven't talked yeah. to anyone that's played it. <laughs> I also invert my mouse and Aliens was the best in that series. So those are all my <laughs> those are all my controversial opinions at once. Uh, Final Fantasy VI was the best. I'm sorry. Mega Man 3, uh, Super Contra. Wait I'm, a minute. You, you invert your mouse? I do invert my I've mouse. I've heard of people inverting their controller, but never heard of anybody inverting their mouse. Are you, what? Do you do that what? for everything? Like yeah. right now on your computer, your mouse is inverted? No, no. But like the, the whole huh. idea, the whole idea is, uh, and I don't want to like make the forums explode with this conversation. If you put your hand on the top of your head and you pull down, you look up. Well, that's what I, I'm controller inverted <laughs> till I that die. Seems, mouse though, I'm pointing at that stuff. That seems like a yeah. very awkward way to play games with your hand on your head. <laughs> Well, no, you, put the, just, you put the mouse there too. Oh, though. Okay. Were, were you to put a spike in someone's skull and pull back, 
they would look up. It's this is just physics. It's logic. <laughs> it makes it makes perfect sense. Oh my goodness! Uh, I I I find that to be the most insane thing I've heard in a while, but I love it. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's crazy. Um, yeah. Uh, the it, uh, the thing I was gonna say before I got sidetracked there is <laughs> is. Uh, you know, all, all I'm completely. <laughs> Someone put a spike in yeah, Jeff's so... skull. They're moving his head all around. Yeah, my, unfortunately, they didn't bring my mouth along with it. Um, <laughs> you know, all growing up, you know, the, the, we all grew up with mouse and keyboard greater than symbol controller, right? And then at a certain point, you know, this was like you know, Halo proved that controllers could could work for first person shooters, and then all of a sudden, there's all these first person shooters on consoles, and then sort of the Call of Duty years happened, and all of a sudden, first person. <laughs> I'm, I guess I'm an old guy having a, a you know memory lapse, but first person shooter on console became completely natural and normal, and the way things are, and you. I forgot until Overwatch reminded me, honestly, how superior mouse and keyboard is to controller when playing these kinds of games. It really took Overwatch to completely remind me that, oh, yes, the only way to play these games is with a mouse and keyboard. Uh, I mean, it's not the... So, um, I am a recent gone back to the PC gaming world, and it depends on the type of game I'm playing. So, Overwatch on mouse and keyboard... Doom, I play with a controller. Like that feels like a console game, and I know it's still fast. And I'm playing on PC, and I know it's you're fast, not playing you know, a little faster. Right? No, I'm not playing. No, who's playing Doom multiplayer? Get out That's of here! That's what I mean. <laughs> I mean, in a multiplayer perspective. I don't mean oh, single oh, player. Whatever. Who cares? But yes, yeah. I mean, it does give you that advantage. There are some games. I don't know. Like, uh, if I were to play Call of Duty on PC. I guess I'd play mouse and keyboard. I mean, I'm bad at it either way. But what I like about Overwatch and why for me it works on mouse and keyboard, my left hand is pretty broken, um, my WASD hand. But in Overwatch, it's really just QWEASD, right? Like, there's not a lot to do. Um, some of these other games where you're using the, all the buttons all the time, I, I don't think I could do that. So I think I would default to my controller kid roots. Interesting. And yeah. you're still playing Overwatch too, right, Christian? You're playing a ton of it? Yeah, I mean, I took some time off for E3, unfortunately, but I got back into it. I love Farah. I, I think um, it's just kind of the same where the rockets don't do as much damage as you're used to a rocket launcher doing, but it still just freaks people out because you can just, you know, shift, jump over, hover over an area and start launching rockets into a hallway. And even though most people you can run through and get out, uns- not unscathed, but alive and set up your defense or your attack, you can freak some people out by just launching <laughs> rockets into a room. And it's so satisfying to jump over and shift jump over a Reinhardt and totally flank behind the enemy team and just pepper them with rockets. And that distracts people just long enough that then your tanks can get in and mess stuff up. Um, it's on, I think it's on this, on my Twitch, which is just twitch.tv Christian Spicer. And then the YouTube, which is Christian Spicer seven, one, three, the last game I played uh, yesterday in the middle, there were two incredible, it was kind of like the opposite of Jeff of when we played, you know, winning 99 to zero and then losing. We had one where we were, the other team was escorting, escorting the payload and they were at the like mere meters away from the final checkpoint with four minutes to get it there. And we held them off, pushed it back, held them off and we won the match. And that's, what keeps you playing for two hours. Oh, One you, of those. You live for those. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's like a golfer saying that, like, I'll hit the ball terribly 1,200 times, but that one time when I hit the sweet spot, it's like, oh, I, I can do this. Yeah. It really is. And there's, the maps are so smartly designed. I don't know if, if, Ben, if you have a favorite, but I feel like for payload, you know, you hit those checkpoints and the first few feel pretty easy to get. So when you're on offense, you're like, oh, we got this, we got this, we got this. But then you get to the last one. And I feel like now when I'm playing, at least it feels like the strategy is the team on defense, everybody just switches to tanks and you, you have like meters to go and you're going up against just six brutes and you're just like, ah, oh, crap, we're not going to do this. It turns uh, into a game of inches and i think it's like there's always that bloody battle at the end and it's so satisfying ah oh, it's so good. do you guys find that you change uh you change characters mid-game often or do you kind of stick with the same character that you started a match with i think you have yeah. to i i think i do think you have to i i think the game is designed for that as they've often said um and and it's especially especially when you're playing with multiple people you know in voice chat being able to call out your switches and be like, this isn't working in Long Reinhardt. Or like, we're, we're really stymied. We need a Mercy. And then we talk about who goes Mercy and someone goes Mercy. Or it's like, you know, we really need a Widowmaker up there. And someone's like, you know, I main Widowmaker. I'll switch over. Yeah. Like that, that ability to... And that's almost why I dislike at the beginning when you're selecting characters. And they're like, no tank characters. It's like, well, of course, we're not setting... That's not locked in stone. Right. Like, this is just... You can... And it's fun sometimes to do gimmick plays and just go like, okay, everyone go Bastion. And just like really do a little bit of psychological warfare. It, it rarely does anything, but it's fun to just like shake up the other team by, you know, gimmicking it. And that's the sort of thing you can do with a little bit more organization. So yeah, absolutely, I switch a lot. I, I think it, that is where the, the, the next level of strategy for the game is once you get past the very basic level of play. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think even with randoms, you see, I, I see that where people switch, and sometimes people switch like the psychological warfare, like Ben was talking about. You start a map, and you're like, okay, there's a widowmaker up top. Guys, look out for their widowmaker. Okay, they got a Winston barreling in, and then all of a sudden they don't have any of those things, but your team is still expecting their elite sniper to be, you know, covering their flank, and no one's playing as that character anymore. And you're like, how are there seven people on that team? Yeah. It's uh, it's interesting. Uh, one last question about this, and I'm, I'm curious what you guys think. Um, we're seeing so many of these arena shooters coming down the pike now. Do you guys think that this repre- or the success of Overwatch represents a desire for more people to play these games or the fact that people want to play Overwatch? Like Blizzard made a really great game and people want to play that, or they just want to play more of these kinds of games? Uh, you, you know, I, I don't think when you look at the video game industry, Blizzard is playing the same game as anyone else. Right. Like just it, they're it there. And what's, what I think is funny is I, I've talked to so many people at Blizzard through the years and they're 100% upfront about the fact that when they start a new game, they are ripping off another game. They're like, well, Hearthstone was like, we already like magic. So we're like, Hey, let's do a magic. Yeah. And like, you know, Starcraft was basically, or, uh, Warcraft was basically like, Hey, we're all playing a lot of Dune. Or it might have been Dune 2000, whatever, however Dune shakes out. That was slightly before my time. They basically just are like, hey, we all really like this thing. We should do a Blizzard version of it. And then, since they're Blizzard, they happen to have the best like <laughs> art direction. And they can afford to put the best polish on it. And they have an amazing community. And they can launch it you know, via Battle.net and like push updates about the game to people who are playing Diablo or Hearthstone or World of Warcraft. And it's like, 
gosh, how do you compete with that? They were just like, we're going to rip off a game and we're going to do it amazing because we are the best at what we do. Yeah. It's, it's, if people are like, you know, we're going to take down Overwatch with our new arena shooter. Gosh, you're not. You are not. That is not a great <laughs> strategy to to pick a fight with Blizzard about. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. And I, you know, I don't, I don't want to go into it too much. But I've been playing a lot more of Heroes of the Storm as usual. Uh, back from E3, it, it was hard for me to spend a whole week not playing Heroes of the Storm. Um, and during that week, there was a massive update. The new ranked system got put in, and um, it's really hard for me at this point because. I'm, uh, you know, they do these these ten placement matches, and you have this MMR that's invisible to you. You have this multi- what's MMR multiplayer matchmaking rating, Thank and you. it is a, a number, a secret number that is been determined by the system as to what your basic skill level is at the game, where it should match you up, how it should match you up with, with other players against other players. And that is accumulated over many, many games. It says it takes uh, at least 50 games uh, to determine that. And after that, it can vary a little bit. But it tends to vary less and less the more games you have. I'm at about 2,500 games played of Heroes of the Storm. My MMR does not fluctuate much anymore, which is really sad to me because a lot of those 2,500 games, I was not as good as I am now. So... The only way to to affect it positively is to get wins, but I'm being matched with players that are of a certain skill level that's pretty, you know, on the grand spectrum of that game, not that high. Uh, so I find it very frustrating. Um, and now this new rank system has come into place that gives you a ranking. There's, you know, all these new rankings, bronze, silver, gold, platinum, diamond, grandmaster, uh, and ranks in those to, to progress past them. But the goal of the matchmaking system isn't to create a ladder through which you can ascend the ranking system. It is to find a place where you are most appropriately matched with other players. So my, from a player's perspective, from my perspective, what I'm attempting to do is play through the ladder system and uh, progress and feel a sense of accomplishment of moving up and you know maybe have some setbacks along the way but feel like... I can ascend. But what the game is trying to do is find a place that it fits me in real well and stick me there and keep me there so that it creates a level of certainty for itself that I am in the matches that it wants me to be in. Now, all of that would be fine in a game like StarCraft or Hearthstone where you you are you and it is only your skill level that decides whether you win or lose because it's a solo game one-on-one. But in a team game where you're relying on your teammates, it's very frustrating to feel like you are matched in a place and trapped in that MMR and unable to get a higher level of teammate and a higher level of competition. And I'm sure everyone feels like they're better than their MMR. But uh, I'm saying from my perspective, maybe I'm not as good as I think I am. I'm probably not as good as I think I am. But I do think I'm better than I'm placed and it's very frustrating to feel like I, the game wants me to stick me in a spot and I want to progress. And it doesn't – it's not much fun in not feeling like you can progress because of the level of your team and the level of your competition. So Total Ross in the chat I think has a, has a great point. He uh, says that's what's great about seasons. You get to start over on a new ladder. But you don't. Example. That's exactly what No, no, no. Right. Yeah. Right. So and it, a – reason to have that type of um, system in place. And I'm wondering for you, Jeff, 
if the latter is more for squads that roll together, roll and die together, and not so much for solo queue playing, well, because they ones. need to have a way. Okay. There's Team League and there's Hero League. I'm just talking about Heroes of the Storm. I know there's other games, lots of other games that do it differently, but Heroes of the Storm has a Team League, which is all five people queued together, and they have Hero mm-hmm. League, which you can only queue with an, as many as one other person. So there's really no- so would it be would it be better? In your eyes, if there was no uh, uh, bronze, silver, gold, platinum, and it was just the, you know, the goal is to be win half, lose half, is the idea of that you should be master bothering you because you can't obtain it? Like, if they just got rid of that, would you have more fun? I'm under no um, apprehension that I am a grandmaster. (laughs) Sure, well, whatever, gold, whatever. I I just would like to feel that I don't win one, lose one, win one, lose one. Win. And, and the number of games in this current system that you have to win back to back to have any progress. And then if you lose a couple, you are, it, it, it is so soul crushing because you don't feel like you can move. You have to put like 10 wins in a row back to back in order to progress up one, you know, one tiny rank. Now, not, not even, and there's five ranks per, you know, per gold, silver, whatever. Uh, it is, it just feels impossible and that would be okay if it was just me by myself, but because I'm relying on others who often mm-hmm. go AFK or throw a game or get upset or just play poorly, it, it becomes much more a difficult pill to swallow. Um, what I, my position is that I had this MMR that was established, right? And because I was gone throughout E3 week, <laughs> no, listen, I don't think I'm not going where you think I'm going. Uh, because I was gone throughout E3 week, I missed most of the placement games, right? Most people were doing their placement games, their 10 placement games during that week. I wasn't because I didn't play that week. So when I got back, I started doing my placement games with people who were already placed. So I got to see the ranks of all the people that it was slotting me in with during my placement games, which meant that it was basing my, the teams it was building for me based on my existing MMR. So it was throwing me into games with people. And when I ended up getting placed, I was placed in the same ranks as all those people. So it was like the placement games, even though I went seven and three in my placement games, it didn't really matter because it already knew where it was going to put me because it was already putting me there. And it just, I just confirmed its bias, right? I mean, yeah, the reason I was laughing was it's just the idea with these types of games, you have to be there, it seems like day zero or day one when the switch happens or else, you know, there is that feeling of being left behind, whether it's by the system or or by skill level. Yeah. I don't I don't know what the solve is. Ben, have you heard anything about, and I'm not trying to switch this back to Overwatch, but just the idea of Blizzard's competitive play. Have they said anything that maybe I don't know about, about what they're thinking of doing for competitive play in Overwatch or ladders or any of that stuff? Well, there was the, during beta, they had competitive play, and I, I didn't pay that close attention to it, but I believe it was based on purely level. And level is, as my teammates uh, proved to me night after night, Level isn't based on skill, it's based on time. Right. You can be a terrible mm-hmm. player and never learn and go up in levels. Um, so people didn't like that in the beta. I could be getting these facts incredibly wrong. Again, I didn't pay attention to competitive play, so I'm kind of talking out of my nether regions here. Well, I just and, wonder if it will take you know focus the way it has for heroes, where you know that's how most people play the game, it seems like, if you want to yeah. play, you're diving in competitive. And the and the the feedback that everyone gave Blizzard was we want competitive play to mean something. We yeah. want to have this like your skill should be the most important thing. And that just I totally get why people would like that. 
it holds no interest to me because I am at the end of the day, a pretty casual player. I can give it like two to three nights a week. And I know that's for a lot of people that is hardcore for one game, but for a competitive online game, it's not like at all. Like the really good players are playing every night, three hours because they don't have a lot of kids. Um, so it's it, it just, I know I will never be good enough to really compete on any kind of realistic level. So I'm just happy in my little Care Bear land, you know, uh, with the matchmaking system with my friends. Well, we can move on from that. I, I do want to talk about uh, VR. And, you know, we have been here, so we're definitely going to talk about VR. And Christian has been asking the community for, uh, because we want to have a dedicated few minutes on the show for a VR segment. Christian put the word out and asked people to send us bumper music for the new VR segment that we'll be doing because I got to talk about VR every week, guys. And the response has been incredible. So we got five contenders for the new VR bumper music. I'm super excited. People have been incredibly generous with their time and energy to send these to us. I think there's some amazing stuff here. So we're going to play all of them. I'd love for you guys to email us and tell us which is your favorite. We'd love to figure out which one we want to use and, and you know, open it up to your input because you'll be hearing these every week. Um, send them to dlcfeedback at gmail.com, uh, your, your responses and which one you like. I'm going to play them now. I think these are pretty great. All right. So this one comes to us from listener Jackson McGillivray. So thanks, Jackson. He sent in this idea. Pretty solid, pretty solid. Um, We got several more to get through, guys. (laughs) (laughs) This comes from Jeffrey Parsons. I like it. I like it. Very different. Both of them. Those are, those two are very different, and they're both yes. great. Yes. Um, this one uh, is pretty pretty awesome from uh, Brian Bogus. Brian Bogus. Jeff's VR segment. Jeff. 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 Jeff's VR segment. VR. 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 Jeff's VR segment. Jeff. 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 Jeff's VR segment. VR. 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 That one proves that my voice does not sound good over amazing metal. Because that that sounds great if someone could sing, but thank you for using my voice, but homie can't sing. (laughs) Uh, And then our own Sean Madigan, who has provided almost all of the uh, bumpers that we've got, he came up big and uh, sent along this offering. Pretty good. But what if I buy a Rift? Then it needs to be Jeff and also Christians, and Ben likes it too. <laughs> also, the guest likes VR. <laughs> um, and, and then, are you ready for this one? Are you guys, hold on to your, let's say, head-mounted displays, because uh, get ready for this one sent to us by, uh, he goes by Bobby Fresh. Bobby Fresh sent this one in. <laughs> get ready. Futures made of virtual reality. Now 
of this new technology. Oh, well, it's here to stay. This virtual reality. Um, I want to listen to that while watching Jamiroquai's <laughs> virtual reality in VR. Oh, thank you all. Uh, it's going to be hard to decide. I mean, we will just rotate them. They're all so good. Um, thank you all for sending those in. I'd love to hear what people think as their favorite, which they'd like to hear going forward as their, their new VR bumper. But uh, DLC feedback at gmail.com. DLC feedback at gmail.com. Uh, but that's, uh, that's five, five X times five X, uh, ways to bring us into this segment, which is us talking about VR. Ben, I've been wanting to just chat with you about it because you are, you know, I think you're on a list of like biggest VR influencers on the planet, which, uh, is very cool. Um, you are, uh, you know, a, a, a fan of the technology, right? A lot of stuff, but you, you tell it like it is, um, yep. Let's just start. I'm going to talk a lot about some of the stuff that I've been playing. Um, but may, I don't know. I just wanted to throw it up to you and, and tell me what some of your favorite experiences are right now and, and where you are with, uh, with the VR headsets. So, you know, I have one of everything. I have a Gear VR. I have a Rift. I have a Vive. I have a countless cardboard-style uh, headsets and goofy things for my phone. Um, So yeah, I I try to play a little bit of everything. What I'm really into now is um, I'm still playing a lot of Tilt Brush on the Vive. Mm -hmm. Um, There's like an experimental game called Loon that's like, it's like $3 on the store and you build like these super strange, my favorite thing about VR is if you describe it in words or even like in text, you sound slightly crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's what I do here for a living. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> it really, it really, I've talked to so many people who are like, it's just impossible to describe unless you've tried it or have some kind of frame of reference. So with Loon, you create these like almost girders that interact in weird ways to the controllers and then you put those down in this like psychedelic fabric falls from the sky and you create like a pillow fort out of the universe Amazing. and then and then you just kind of sit in it and it's like <laughs> if you've ever wondered what mushrooms are like and you don't want to actually eat a lot of mushrooms like virtual reality has you <laughs> yes <laughs> um There is uh, a music video program that has been available for the Rift for a while that just came out for the Vive called Surge, which is another kind of psychedelic thing. And, like, the entire world moves to the beat of the music, and there's, like, a really surreal, like, nuclear explosion that happens at the beginning, and then there's these strange walking giants, and you look up, and they seem huge. And I just just love that stuff. And... Slightly easier to explain, there's a Vive program called The Blue, which is just like fish. Right. And, and there's like an experience where you, a whale comes and swims past you. But some some of the environments where you can just like sit down and like you feel like you're underwater and the fish swim by you. And I just think it's amazing. What was your, um, what was your take on uh, PSVR at E3 as it compares sort of technically? I've been having a hard time, you know, a lot of our listeners are wanting to know which headset to get. And I, I, I think there are definite pluses and minuses to all three of those. Um, yeah. And it's, it's very difficult to have a definitive answer. Is there, is there one way you come down? 
So it's the, the one thing that I always bring up is that the PlayStation VR is so much more comfortable than the Rift and the Vive. It's almost silly. Right. I agree. It's, it's not like, oh, it's like, I really have to think about the pluses and minuses. No, like, I think the Vive is slightly easier to fit around my glasses than the Rift. And I think the PlayStation VR makes them both feel terrible. Mm. And they feel really good. It's just that, the you know, Sony's institutional knowledge when it comes to creating consumer electronics and executing on them is, you, like, you can't fight that. It's, they're an amazing technology company. Yeah. So when you like put it on, it makes sense on how you adjust it and it's easy to explain and it fits well over glasses and the optics are really strong and the head tracking is really good. I, I, there's this mistaken impression out there that the PlayStation VR is like a, a hacked down or like a budget VR experience. And like, like I said, I, I have all the really expensive, really crazy VR stuff hooked up to a very expensive and very crazy PC because this is my job and I'm also a huge VR dork. And, like, the PlayStation VR does not feel like a budget experience to me. It feels like a very strong VR experience. You are not missing that much by going PlayStation VR. Yeah. Uh, you do take a little bit of a hit graphically because you're not connecting it to a $1,000 or up PC. But the amount of graphical fidelity they're able to pull out of a years-old piece of computing equipment that you can buy for a few hundred dollars, I think it is astounding. I, I think just as a technical achievement for the cost of both the headset and the console, it's amazing what Sony has been able to accomplish and what developers have been able to do through optimization. I think it's an amazing platform and their game selection. um, Their game selection is super good. I think they're going to launch with a lot of great games. The downside with PlayStation VR, it is going to be a plug and play experience where you can buy an inexpensive console, a relatively inexpensive VR headset. It's going to be easy to set up. Everyone's going to have the same experience, but it is a console, which means like the more experimental stuff I was just describing that comes out all the time on the Vive and you can try for a few dollars. You just won't have access to that. The upside is you're going to have a lot of really mature games that you know are going to work and you know are going to give a minimum level of performance so it's comfortable and they're going to be finished. So there are pluses and minuses, but... For most people, when they're like, which VR headset should I get? For the majority of people I talk to, I tell them PlayStation VR. Because I think it's going to be the affordable one. I think it's going to be the easiest for most people to use in their home. And I do think it delivers a really, really good VR experience. I think it's a great platform. Yeah, I would agree with all of that. Um, it's, um, it's, it's interesting. I, I agree with you also on the on the fun, little, crazy, experimental stuff. I mean one of the joys of being an early adopter right now is like venturing into that subreddit for Vive and seeing some guy who just posted the thing is like, hey, I tried this crazy idea. You guys want to download it? And you download it and it's like, oh, this is <laughs> wild because nobody has thought to do this weird thing yet or this way to move around yeah. the world or, you know, it, it's it's really the wild west right now for, for just figuring stuff out. And what is the, how can we apply this technology in unconventional ways? And this, the people that are doing it aren't the big companies, or at least we're not seeing what they're doing. We're seeing this kind of mom and pop garage guy who's just throwing this stuff online and letting people check it out. And it's, it's pretty fun. Mm-hmm. And there's things like uh, big screen VR. It's like a social screen sharing app. You're in like a house and everyone can look at everyone else's screen. So you can almost set up like a virtual land party and play video games together. That was made by my understanding is one person. Right. 
And and they released a build, and I tweeted about it. I was like, oh, this sounds great. He, like, DM'd me, and he was like, I'm going to set up a server, like, send you a, an executable, and I will walk you through <laughs> That's it. That's awesome. So it was, like, 2 a.m., and we're, like, in VR with voice chat, and I, I see his, like, avatar, and he's telling me about this program, and it all happened organically, and we're having a conversation in VR. And, like, so I put up, like, Star Wars on my screen, and we're both kind of, like watching star wars while we're having this conversation <laughs> it's awesome and it's it's so strange because in the program you can see where people are looking because they have a it's linked to the head tracking of the headset so you can see like the avatar of where they're looking so his like the conversation like fell off a little bit and then when i looked over i realized it was because it was the cool scene where they stole the the tie fighter <laughs> in star wars and he was just kind of watching it. and i was like this is and it's like that that physical interaction and it was, again, like a, a really early prototype of software that's now out on Steam that I got a, a chance to try and meet up with the guy because I'm an early adopter. Yeah. And my understanding is anyone who tweeted about this, he was like, oh, yeah, let me walk you through it. And he was just like super into promoting that's it. Rad. Yep. And like someone just, just released a fan-made uh, edit of Quake that works on the consumer version of the Rift that's free and just kind of like snaps onto the Steam version. Yeah. And you could just get these things, and that's not yeah. The, the hack for Minecraft VR. Revive is really well done, and it keeps getting updated. Oh yeah. Um, I, my fav- favorite experience on Vive is uh, Vanishing Realms, and my understanding is that's one guy who made that. Um, is it that's, really? That's what I, my understanding. It's it's pretty incredible. Oh my gosh! It's like it's like VR Zelda mixed with Skyrim. That game really picked up for me when you get the bow yeah. and arrow. And you're like dodging the arrows and you're firing back and you feel like you're actually in that. Oh, it felt so good. It's such a great game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Christian, you came over to my place this week and uh, I stepped you through. I know you had you had experienced Vive over here before, but we went through Oculus experiences and uh, you can't you have a video online of us of us doing that. Yeah, if people want to watch it, it's at the YouTube, which again is Christian Spicer 713, the numbers, and it's the like 40 minutes uninterrupted of me playing, getting the, and Jeff, you are a great VR Sherpa. Um, it's the best way to experience VR, but my first time with the retail Oculus, and I, I texted you this, was it today or yesterday? I still don't quite know why, but I found myself looking to buy an Oculus. Yes, um, <laughs> one of us, one of us. Uh, I have, excuse me, I have the PlayStation VR pre-ordered. Whether or not I keep it, I think depends on the game. I came out of E3 impressed. But as I was sitting there, and if people watch the video on my YouTube channel, at the end of it, you know, and we can have a little of the conversation now, if I had to pick between an Oculus or a Vive, I would pick an Oculus, partly, well, a a large part, I can't fit room scale um, without major major reorganizing of rooms that I can't do <laughs> living in Southern California with two kids. <laughs> um, and I found, Oh, edge of nowhere. Is that the insomniac mm-hmm. game? Yeah. Playing that um, for me as seated with a controller in this third person, a third person game, who would have thought that was the game that sold me on Oculus where I sat down and I felt like I could sit here with a controller in this immersive experience and play this for four hours. Like raw data on Vive is incredible and it sold me on room scale, 
but I didn't picture myself, you know, coming home from a show and wanting to strap on a headset and crank out some raw data before bed. Like, no way. But Edge of Nowhere, I could see myself wanting to come home, turn off the lights, put this thing on, the included headphones. They're not the best. I'm a minor audiophile, not the biggest, you know, audio geek in the world. But having the little headphones just flip down, I didn't need to worry with it. When you were talking, I could literally just flip one up and listen to my Sherpa guide me. Um, it was it was really, really smooth. And, and I agree with Ben that the PlayStation VR is the most comfortable headset I've worn of the, of the big three. But Oculus felt, I mean, it would go Vive, which is fine. It's fine. It doesn't hurt by any stretch of the imagination. But I would, it's heavy and it's, um, the cord is a little more cumbersome or the cord bundle coming out of the back. I would say Oculus is a good two steps more comfortable than Vive. And then PlayStation VR is the king of the, the leader of the pack. But, um, yeah, I, I came away very impressed from the seated VR experience. I think their room scale or standing scale will be the type of VR experience that, my space and my life can accommodate the thing that I didn't realize until I watched um, the video, the footage when I posted the video. So I captured, you know, me on a GoPro and then just low tech. I was filming off screen on my iPhone to capture kind of what I was seeing. And one of the experiences I did was Jerry Seinfeld doing a SNL monologue. And I'd seen it, you know, you talked about how it's cool because you can look anywhere in the audience and you can look at like Adam Sandler and you can see people that don't know, you're watching them, you can watch them and see, do they laugh at this joke or is someone picking their nose? It's really cool to feel like you're there, but that was the thing that showed me that I really want a higher res screen in my face for video. And it wasn't until I went home and looked at the footage that I looked at the the off-screen footage of that scene. It, it's captured in beautiful HD. It's not that they captured it low res to make it VR, it was just the screen of the actual VR is low res. And that that was interesting for me to, to witness and say, oh, we can capture stuff beautifully, but it really is just the screens holding it back where I felt like I'd rather look at computer graphics than actual video via a VR headset. There's, there's a lot going on that holds back 360-degree uh, video from being what we want it to be. And it's it's fascinating how much better a completely virtual worlds look in VR than video does. It's like we just we see all of the tiny flaws in 360 degree video. And capturing it is tricky. 360 degree video never looks as good as standard video. Showing it on the HMD is tricky. There's like streaming it is nearly impossible in high resolution because of all the data you need to, to push through. Like I, I think the amount of investment going on in 360-degree video far outstrips uh, the execution of what we get right now. It really isn't anywhere near where people want it to be, I don't think. Yeah, and, and I find that to be the least compelling reason to own a headset personally. Uh, it's, it's cool, and there's, there's definitely some cool stuff with 360-degree video. But for me, you know, computer-generated graphics inside the headset is really the, the compelling use case for me um, and what I, you know, what I sign up for. But I think 360 video could be the reason if it comes with looking crystal clear because then it's you're there. And then, you know, you go to if you're looking for a house or an apartment, you put the thing on and you're you're there there. Or um, I think it could be a compelling reason. It's just we're not there yet, unfortunately. I want to tell you guys about what I did today. <laughs> we're As Christian said at the top of the show, we are recording this on Saturday. Uh, so at, at like 4.30 we started. So – at noon 
two of my buddies came, Alex Albrecht and my buddy Jerry came over to my house. We, we, we met up to play board games, but they hadn't really seen my Oculus yet, so we came into the, the room, and it, we decided to play <laughs> Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes. Oh, which yeah. I had played. There's a video of me and, and Anthony Carboni playing it at a PAX, and we played one bomb at a PAX, and it, I was already completely sold. I think I talked about it on the show, about how fun it was immediately. And if you don't remember, Keep Talking, Nobody Explodes is, is a game where one person is inside the virtual environment in the headset and is looking at a bomb that has these various modules on it that need to be diffused or within a certain amount of time or the bomb explodes. And the vo- modules are, you know, they have to cut certain wires or flip certain switches or press certain buttons or do certain things. But the only way they know how to do the right sequence in order to make the bomb not explode is the thing that the person outside VR in the real world has is the bomb manual. And you have that either in a physical printed out version or on a computer screen or whatever, but it's outside VR. And so that person has to communicate to the person in VR what they need to do, and the person in VR has to communicate what they're looking at so they know which module they need to do. And it's wild and zany and crazy. Now, I knew it was fun when we played it the first time at PAX. I had a great time playing it. But what I hadn't done up to this point is play it for four hours straight and see how far we could get and realize how it continues to build on itself and build on itself and build on itself. I'm telling you, this is some of the most fun we have ever had, the three of us. The guys didn't want to leave. They're like, are you sure you need to do your podcast? I was like, yeah, I'm sorry, guys. You got to go. We wanted to <laughs> keep going. We got to the fifth, fifth level, and each level has like five or six different bombs in it. And it gets progressively more insane. And they do all these wonderfully clever things where they'll use homonyms. You know, like it'll say there, but which there does it say? And it's very particular which there you need to say. Or it'll start having ways to just mess with you. Like the lights will start switching on and off. Or uh, the alarm clock in the room will start buzzing and mess you up. Or there'll be these modules that need particular attention over time, so you have to keep bouncing back to different modules and they'll divert your attention in certain ways. It is... It was uh, an amazing teamwork that was required. We developed a like this shorthand communication system to do everything as quickly as possible. We were shouting and yelling and high-fiving when we got something right. And when things didn't work, we were like, let's try it again. We can, you know we can get this one. It was absolutely thrilling and some of the most fun, cooperative entertainment I have ever experienced. I'm telling you. The, the, we were like bouncing off the walls. Everybody was like, when can we do this again? Keep talking, nobody explodes is a friggin' triumph, guys. It is so fun. With one person under the hood all four no, hours? No, we, we would rotate. Like, uh, we would rotate. Like, okay, okay, we, next person go up. And then we would, we, we had gotten to the point, I have pictures on my phone of this. We got to the point where we like, I printed the manual out and we just like spread it across the floor, like, insane people and had things that (laughs) clustered in places and we had pen and paper to write certain things down because there's certain things you have to remember going forward and we would like dive and and grab certain pages when it was that time and we had this cool division of labor of you say this and I say that and 
It was so thrilling and such a simple premise and simply executed, but it takes advantage of VR in such interesting ways. That sense of presence being in the room with the bomb is essential. And the sense of isolation of like, I'm the only one that can see this. I'm the only one that's present with it. I have to communicate to people outside that experience. And they, to me, it's so well done. Ben, do you let, have your kids jacked in? Yo, absolutely. Um, and it's so funny because like last night my daughter was playing Tilt Brush and they both are, they adore Job Simulator. Like it's, they play that game like it's going out of style. And it's so fascinating to watch them adapt to the technology and like learn how to play it and like really get lost in VR. And what I think is funny is that like they take it completely for granted. Like they just assume that VR is something that's yeah. always existed and everyone has it in yeah. the house. And it's like, no, like, you are one of the first people in the country to play with this because, like, Valve sent me a dev kit, right? <laughs> <In the> world, <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, so it, it's like, I, I try to explain, like, I followed VR for literally 20 years, and it's so cool that it's happening. And they're like, yeah, it's a video game. <laughs> I was like, right, you're not wrong. It is a video game, but this is, like, super cutting-edge technology. And they're like, I drew a dude. <laughs> I was like... You certainly did, and I don't think you're quite getting the enormity of what it's like for you to just play in a virtual world. Yeah. And they're like, I fixed, I fixed the car. And it's like, <laughs> okay, yes, but, like, I'm trying to explain to you how super cool Yeah, it's like is. when, you know, when they take a picture and then look at it immediately. It's like, when I was your age, I had to just hope that my picture was good. And I would – two weeks would go by, and then I would get it from the drugstore and realize, oh, my thumb was in the way, and I didn't even get that picture. Yeah. Do you remember, like, when someone would take your picture at an event or, like, you and someone else and you'd be like, oh, can you get doubles of that? (laughs) You would would get two made and you would give one to a friend. You would ask them for doubles (laughs) because they were a finite thing. It's – but, yeah, they do play and it's, like, it's super fun to, like, explain, like, the house rules for VR, what they are and aren't allowed to play. Um, and like how to stay safe in it and how long they're able to play. It's like, you have to be really involved. And for a very long time before they got proficient, like I really made sure I was in the room so I could be their handler. So they didn't like run into a wall. Like I had to (laughs) explain how the chaperone system worked. Um, my, my middle kid, he loves Lucky's Tale on, uh, the Oculus Rift. And it's just, it's super strange to like watch him sit down in my office chair with a VR headset in the controller and look around and like really enjoy like a Mario 64 style experience, but it's in VR and he gets completely lost in it. And it's, it's like, it's one of those moments where you kind of take a step back and it's like, we are living in the future. Like this is some crazy cyberpunk stuff we're going through and it's like way far away from being mainstream, but it's like, it's like happening in our time. And I just, I think it's really, really neat. And I, I, I think once the technology gets even just a little bit better, cause it's exciting to think that this is the worst VR is ever going to get. Yeah. Right. Like this is, this is in five years going to look back and think what we had now is yeah. terrible. And it's amazing. So exciting. Uh, I don't think people are ready for all the different ways it's going to change society and all of the different forms of etiquette and, other aspects of dealing with life when you have experiences on tap, it's going to change everything. And I don't even know how yet. I I think that's super cool. 
Do your kids, uh, do you find them rejecting flat screen gaming? Are they playing, you know, the new Ratchet and Clank? I guess it's not new anymore, but Ratchet and Clank 2016 and just being nonplussed by it. It's just like, oh, I mean, this is cool, but I can't see what's in my house. No, it's, they really, my daughter is not as heavy a gamer as my oldest son is. And she likes VR in a way that she doesn't like screen gaming. Like, she would rather, like, watch a movie or read a book than play a video game on a TV for hours on end. But if I put her in Job Simulator, she adores that. She loves the direct interaction. She loves the, the, the controls and being inside that world and, you know, drawing things in tilt brush. But my son, on the other hand, super-duper loves VR. He loves inviting his friends over so they can try it. Because, like, I'm in this weird phase where, like, that aspect of my job is cool. He's, like, old enough to think it's neat that he has this technology. <laughs> but well, he'll bounce between having a whole lot of fun in VR and, like, playing the new Uncharted on a TV screen. And he's just... I, I don't think one is better or worse for him. He just likes video games. He just likes technology. So it's not like I've ever heard him say, oh, gosh, I wish I could look around. He's, like, super hyped about like uh everyone in my house loves star wars battlefront so he wants a battlefront in vr he would love like a call of duty experience in vr even though i've had to explain like with the physics of vr that would probably be terrible but he wants that type of experience where it's like because what you don't really have on the vive or the oculus rift is like kind of a big budget first person shooter with a story that's finished right and i think that's kind of what he's craving he wants something with that level of polish in VR that he can sit down and play for hours instead of things like space pirate trainer that is more arcade style and is meant to be played for like five minutes and then you pass the headset off and you kind of take turns with it. That's what he's interested in in VR. But no, I, I don't think it's really killing standard gaming for anybody. Awesome. Uh, I mean, I could talk to you about VR for hours, and I'm, uh, I'm so glad we got this opportunity. Uh, we do have a couple of uh, other quick segments coming up before we wrap things up, but I do need to thank our other sponsor, Linode. Uh, Linode is a hosting company offering high-performance Linux servers for all of your infrastructure needs. Linode has it all, lightning quick servers in the cloud, super fast 40 GPS network, automated backups, node balancers, managed services, guides with step-by-step instructions, a simple but powerful control panel, 99.9% uptime, 24-7 support experts, and all the tools you need to get the job done right the first time. And it all starts at only 10 bucks a month. Over 400,000 customers trust the Linode platform, including 5x5 itself. 5x5's infrastructure is happily hosted on Linode. And getting started is easy. Just pick a plan, choose your favorite Linux distro, and pick from one of eight data centers in America, Europe, and Asia. Just visit linode.com slash 5x5 today to support the show and use the promo code 5x5 for a $10 credit. That's linode.com slash 5x5. Simple, powerful, reliable. Uh, All right, guys, let's uh, carve out a little bit of tabletop time. Right now, right now. Christian, you've been playing some uh, tabletop stuff, huh? Yeah, the people over at Jash, who you might know, um, they've, you know, Sarah Silverman, Reggie Watts, people created their own YouTube or, you know, online haven. And then now they've kind of branched out more and they have Jash Gaming. They invited me over to play some D&D 
over there with them and it was on their Twitch channel live and they have it on their YouTube as well, which is, I, I believe just Jash play. And it's really, really cool what they've done. So they took fifth edition and parsed it down into something that can be playable in about three hours because, you know, it's meant to be viewable online and people to hang out. So we're not doing a full, you know, year long or month long campaign, and the hook they came up with, and I think this is just genius, and, and especially because it's about getting comedians to play D&D. And I had played, but probably not for 15 years, and they bring in people that have never played. So it's simplified. Don't look for you know the most intense uh, version of D&D you've ever seen. But you are you pick a character, you know, you roll your character or whatever, and, but you are at a temp agency. So that's kind of the hook to make it a three-hour campaign. And uh, you, know, you come in, and you're at this temp ag- agency, and you get your assignment. And it's something mundane, but you're in this world of heroes still. So, you know, you're in this big world where epic things can happen and dragons exist. But in my campaign, what we had to do was go get some dragon poop and, you know, bring it back to the town (laughs) for fertilizer for the farmers or whatever. And of course, along the way, we met some some rogues and the dragon was a little cranky. But you're also playing with two other comedians. Erica Rhodes, one of the the people that played with us, you might have she was on at midnight. Uh, Friday or something. I don't know. People, you, she's from, uh, she does Prairie Home Companion, Jeff, one of I your favorites. Like um, and, uh, you know, so we're being dumb, but having fun, but also kind of some people are trying to break the rules because they don't know the rules. And then some people like me are trying to push what we can do. So like right when we walked out of the temp agency, I said, uh, oh, well, I left my teleporter here and on. So I'm going to go through my teleporter to go to where we need to, to the dragon's that guy. Case. But it's su- it supports that, that. It supports that because of the it's supposed to be fun and the DM knows how to push back. So it's like, okay, you know, go ahead and roll for that. You'll see if you can convince me um, that you have this, the director of the temp agency or whatever. And I roll and it's like, okay, now you're going to convince your the party to go with you. Does this thing work? And okay, you go through it and there's, of course, nothing there. You know, it's it's... It's we're all comedians, so you're allowed to have fun and push and pull. Um, and <laughs> I uh, I got encumbered with the smell of the of the uh, dragon dung as I was one to scoop it up to carry it back. And it was meant to just be the lightest little encumbrance that I don't know. I think I should have been able to roll out of it quickly, but I I couldn't. And we almost died. I don't <laughs> I don't think anyone has ever failed their quest before. And we were within, I think, like two hit points or two health points from not being able to deliver dragon dung <laughs> to the center <laughs> of the city. Fertilizers ever. It was cool. And it's, I think, a cool approach to see in people, I think, can, you know, have been doing this for years, too. But if you are afraid of D&D, I think it's fun to see other people doing parsed down versions what, of it. And there's really no down? wrong way to play. Well, a short story, a short story, um, you know, you don't need to worry about using every joint. Like you can simplify characters if you want to based on the quest. So did you have a, did you have a a rule set that was different than the five fifth edition rule set or did you just, just sort of, it was more about shared storytelling than it was about specific D and D mechanics. Yeah, we were playing base. I mean, I'm not super familiar with fifth edition, so I'm not sure if we were not true to every fifth edition rule set, but I was told it was based off fifth edition, but it was also more shared storytelling. And, you know, we were rolling our um, D20 more often than not and not getting tied up with some of the other things that we might have been carrying or other powers our characters had. Did you have a and character class? The story wasn't, wasn't focused that way. Yeah, it was a half org. What, what was your class? 
half orc, half man. That would be your race. What, what would, was, would be your character class? Oh, give me some classes. Yeah, a rogue, uh, wizard. Oh yeah, I was a rogue. Did you yeah, say sorry, that? I, maybe I was a rogue. No, yeah, I, I don't know if I did, but I was. Uh, cool. So, yeah. so you would, did you do roguey things? Did you like you know stab people and do roguey things, or was it just sort of like a? It was just there, and it was more about the shared story that you were making. So I that was built into it. Since I was a half orc rogue, I feel like I picked that kind of on purpose. My roguiness was somewhat muted because <laughs> my intelligence wasn't as high as it would have been otherwise. But you know, we were allowed to make that those moves, whether or not they played out the way they would have in strict fifth edition. I can't Fair say. Enough. Did you? Uh, but you should you go done, play. I will connect I you with the people. Uh, have you done? Um, have you done D and D tabletop stuff before or? Like yeah. high school, so like 15 years ago, however old I am. Yeah, it's been a long time, like third edition or whatever it was. Cool. It's come yeah. a long way, that's for sure. Um, but, you know, it's still the same basic game. It's awesome. Uh, really cool. I, you know, we're running long, so I'm not going to go into my tabletop stuff. We'll talk more next week. But, um, yeah, let's, uh, let's stick around for the parting gift, which uh, is going to be fun. This week we have a listener's parting gift uh, also, which you can always send in at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. But uh, I do need to thank Ben Kuchera for being here, man. This has been such a delight. No, thank you so much. I've had a great awesome. time as well. Uh, where can people um, read your c- contributions on the internet and keep up with your shenanigans? Uh, my Twitter account is just at Ben Kuchera. That's K-U-C-H-E-R-A. And my stories all appear on Polygon.com. Awesome. Christian, how about you? What do you got going on this week? Uh, I don't know. It's Saturday. I'm not there yet. Um, Twitter's the best way to keep in touch at Spicer. And um, I appreciate everybody. People have emailed um, DLC feedback regarding um, the E3 episodes we did. I talked about um, gun control at the beginning of those episodes for like 30 seconds on two of those episodes. And I really appreciate the civil discourse that people have had. Um, I think they've been constructive emails. And I'm always open to your feedback for anything mentioned on this show. Feel free to email us, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. And then check out my parenting podcast. It is Department of Parenting, episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. It's a lighthearted take on parenting. And uh, if you have kids, I think you might enjoy it. And then you can follow my shenanigans on Twitch, which is just twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer. And then that, along with um, some sketches like Marriage Is and some other videos like my experience with Jeff's Vive and Oculus, can be found on my YouTube, which is Christian Spicer 713. Speaking of YouTube, Jeff, you launched something new today, Saturday? Yeah, uh, you should have been yesterday, but yeah. Um, yesterday? Well, okay. Yeah, I guess it is kind of new-ish. We hit, a, we hit a Patreon goal with We Have Concerns where we're now doing video episodes. Uh, so um, not every episode will be video, but uh, we had our first video episode. I'm pretty proud of it. I think it's fun. Um, you can just see us and realize that no, we don't. We just all make it up as we go. <laughs> we have concerns.com, and you can find our uh, We Have Concerns YouTube page. Just subscribe to that to find those videos if you want to see the video. Uh, also, uh, tomorrowdaily.com for tech stuff at CNET. And the Slash Filmcast will be reviewing Independence Day Resurgence this week. So, uh, why don't you listen to us talk about it before you buy your ticket?
Uh, although it sounds like most people aren't going to see it because it didn't do well this weekend. But uh, you, you really shouldn't go see it. Um, <laughs> we'll be talking about that very shortly. Uh, all right. So that's going to do it for this episode. We have our we got a parting gift uh, right now. And I do have this interview with uh, a, a, a producer on the Gwent video game from E3. I guess I'll throw that at the end. What do you think? A little bonus content this week, Christian? Should be fun. I have a, I know, a, fun, sure. a fun interview from E3 that I didn't put in last week's episode. Uh, and I did, you know, Gwent was my biggest surprise of the show. I, I just think it's a really well-made game, and I think I might might enjoy this interview that I did. So check that out. I also have a big interview scheduled for next week. You guys are going to want to hear, which should be a fun fun one too. So bonus content coming up. But right now, let's do our parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion. Ben, you got something to send people out and uh, get them through their week? Absolutely. So one of my favorite shows that absolutely no one seems to be watching is called You're the Worst, uh, which is streaming on Hulu right now. It starts off as a comedy about two terrible people dating, and season two kind of careens into one of the most realistic looks at depression I've ever seen in pop wow. culture. If you haven't checked it out, please do. It is an amazing TV show. You're the Worst, it's called, right? And it, is that yep. – you said it's on Hulu? It, it is streaming on Hulu. Um, it is an FX show, awesome. I believe. Christian, what do you got for a parting gift? Yo, dudes, slim down your wallet. That is my parting gift to you. I don't care how you do it, <laughs> where you do it. Money clip it if you want to. Um, I've seen some real fatties recently, some real fat wallets, some real George Costanzas out there. Slim it down. You don't need to carry everything all the time. Um, <laughs> slim it down. Like it, it like, it, like it affects your life in any way, Christian. It does. I was, I was. So the reason I'm mentioning it now is that I was at the Bucks, the local Starbucks. Say what you want. Yeah, not the. It doesn't matter. I was at Starbucks, um, and the person in front of me pulled out their Costanza, and stuff just spilled. It flew out, and I was just like, "You got to be kidding!" I was in a Seinfeld moment, and I was like, "This can't be happening." And it was like the third fatty I had seen. I was at the grocery store two days ago. And this person was trying to pull out their pavilion's reward card out of this thing that was like the jaws of hell. Uh, it was, it's a minor annoyance. Yes, in the scheme of things, I am very lucky, very blessed. But if you're listening to this, take this moment after you pull over or whatever, thin out your wallet, <laughs> your bottom. Well, thank Actually, you. Actually, I, I did do and that so several years ago, and I, I've been so happy ever since. It's uh, it's truly much better to have a, a thin wallet. Um I didn't know I was offending so many bystanders with my fat wallet. <laughs> How many years ago was it? I don't no, know if I saw it. I even knew you. Um, oh, great. Perfect. Uh, well, you know, our heart goes out to our friends in, uh, in Great Britain uh, who are going through an interesting thing. I would just want to say in the context of that, hey, vote. Register to vote and vote. That's good. Uh, I will just wanted to say that at the top. But my actual parting gift uh, is something much less important. There are a bunch of people – that gave me positive comments after I told you about uh, my uh, Trader Joe's find of the partially popped popcorn. So many people were like, oh my god, I tried it, it's awesome. So I got another one for you. On a whim at Trader Joe's, I bought the dill-flavored popcorn. It shouldn't work. It works. It shouldn't work. It works. It's really good. If you like pickles at all, it's popcorn that tastes like pickles. And maybe that sounds disgusting, but it's really good. Dill-flavored popcorn at Trader Joe's. It's like, it was $1.99. I was like, why not? I'm going to try it. And it was really good. So there you go. Dill-flavored popcorn. Uh, 
Jazz Galaxy in the chat just said, I knew a guy who kept fortunes in his wallet. That's the line for me. It was like, what? <laughs> fortunes? <laughs> you know, after every fortune, you're supposed to say in wallet, I think. Um, we got a, no. we got a uh, listener uh, sent in a parting gift for us. This comes from Chase Danette from Cincinnati, Ohio. Chase writes, I love me some comedy. And as this show is hosted by a comedian and the king of dad jokes himself, I felt the need to rock Bo Burnham's new stand-up special as my parting gift. I've been following this kid since he was making YouTube videos from his bedroom in high school, and I genuinely find him to be one of the funniest people on the planet. I was fortunate to see him on his latest tour, and the special from said tour, titled Make Happy, just premiered on Netflix on June 3rd. If you love to laugh whilst engaging in deep thought, give this special a shot. His stage persona is that of one man of a one-man theater show, unlike anything you've ever seen from a stand-up comedian who happens to sing and play music. And if you like it, his previous special, What, is also on Netflix. Bo Burnham, funny dude. Thanks for sending your parting gift in, Chase. You can always send yours to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. And that's it. We're done, guys. Uh, thank you to everybody that sent us music. Thanks to everybody listening. Uh, thanks to Sean Madigan, Zero Star, and Patrick L for the current bumpers that we've been using. Uh, thanks to Ben Kuchera and Christian Spicer. We'll be here next week. Uh, until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. All right, so uh, tell me your name and, and uh, your title. My name is Mateusz Tomaszkiewicz, and I'm a principal narrative designer. But actually, I will give you more credit. It'll oh, great. Be easier that way, I think. Well, I didn't want to attempt to pronounce that because I would have ruined it. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> so uh, I just played Gwent, yeah. the standalone version. I've played lots of Gwent already yeah, inside yeah, yeah. The Witcher Through the Wild Hunt. Uh, but this version is much different. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me a little bit about... I mean, you guys clearly had a lot of feedback from the community saying, hey, we want a standalone version of this. Yes. But you're CD Projekt Red, so you don't just make you don't no. just make a standard version of it. This exactly. is a massive standalone yeah. game. Yeah. yeah, it's a huge undertake, uh, you know, undertaking, basically, um, because it will be... Um, online competitive game, we had to rethink how we approach abilities for the cards and mechanics and so on. So we have added a bunch of new cards, as you could have seen, new abilities and mechanics. And uh, yeah, we have reworked whole UI. Um, basically, we have added uh, some new rules to the deck building. So, you know, so it makes a little bit more sense because, as you might remember in uh, The Witcher, you could have added uh, as many hero cards as you wanted. Right. But those are resistant to the special effects, right? Right. So, basically, they are very, very powerful. So now we can have maximum of four in your deck. And. Uh, Basically, because of that, we could have kept them very unique, very strong, with some cool abilities that fit their personality and so on, you know. Right. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure which which deck did you play. I played three different decks. Um, I played one that pulled a lot of stuff from the graveyard. I can't remember the name Skelliga? of the character. Yeah. Yes. And then I played... Um, the the dwarf guy, uh, yeah, 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 Squirtle guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, they are cool. I mean, very different. They play very different from each other. So yeah. you saw the new abilities, probably so very much. Right? Yeah. So I think this changes a lot. Yeah, it really does. But on top of that, also you've added uh, much more game there. There's mm-hmm. a whole story mode, yes. and yes. I mean, it, 
it kind of reminds me a little of Puzzle Quest, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you've got that tap, top-down map, and exactly. you're wandering around exactly. exploring. Yeah. So I joined this team in uh, December, because previously I was working as a lead quest designer on The Witcher 3. Uh, and it was, you know, I was tasked with coming up with how to approach single-player campaign and so on. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, we took inspirations from many different games, and, uh, yeah, Puzzle Quest was among of them. Hmm. Um, I think the other ones were Banner Saga, for sure. Oh, sure, yeah. The dialogues and the story and so on. Yeah. And um, the another one was uh, Might and Magic Clash of Heroes, yeah. which I played a lot. And, uh, it's a great game. I did too. I played a yeah, ton of it. Was fun, yeah, right? yeah. Oh my gosh, so good. And basically, you know, it brings me a lot of ideas. Basically, what about what we could do with this? Right. And uh, yeah, we have a very dedicated team. Uh, aside from me, from the Witcher Three team, in terms of storytelling, um, there is also this uh, the writer that wrote the Bloody Baron uh, storyline. Oh, that's a great one. So uh, Carolina Stafira, and uh, yeah, we're working together on it. And, coming up with different ideas and so on. And, uh, yeah, the slice you saw today, mm -hmm. it's, you know, just a, a small part of what we're planning. As you, as you heard on the presentation, it will be around 10-plus hours of gameplay, Yeah, each one of them. And so it's, this is a, a free-to-play game, right? Yes. So are these going to be sold sort of as episodes that you... Uh, yeah, it, we are still working this out. Uh, we have people that are uh, basically tasked with coming up with this monetization model. But mm -hmm. yeah, you could expect that because, you know, it's like expansions. Right. Big, um, big chunks of content with, you know, full voiceover, uh, cutscenes, dialogues, and so on. So it probably is. Yeah. And I think that most people have noticed that since Hearthstone came out, everybody seems to have a, a digital card game. We've yes, got a bunch of them. But I think so many of them are um, riffs on Magic the Gathering. Mm -hmm. And Gwent is so different, and I mm -hmm. don't think people get that just by looking at it. Because they see a card oh, game and they go, oh, exactly. yeah. Another card game, yeah. Yeah, but, but it's so different, right? The, it, it is very different. I mean, I feel it's very unique. A lot of people pointed it out that, you know, this mechanic of... Um, and it's basically uh, best of two, best of three. So right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you start off with your hand of ten cards and you have to manage through all the three rounds with that. You right. don't get any resources. Yeah. Which is very unique as well. Yeah, you can play any card at any time. Exactly. But sometimes I'm just trying to bait my opponent yes. into playing his best cards. Yes. He, he, so, and I'm just, I'm just going to throw that round. Exactly. It's, exactly. it's really the, cool. The bluffing and deception is key in here. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's super cool because it's it's much different, basically. Yeah. I mean, I, I love Hearthstone, you know. I'm playing it all the time on my iPad. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, but but this is different, I feel. You know, it's... Yeah. it's um, I feel people who enjoy other card games can enjoy this one as well, just in a different way. Mm -hmm. So we've heard that the, the Wild Hunt is the last Witcher game. Mm -hmm. This kind of continues that Witcher universe in a different way. Oh, we said that the Wild Hunt was the uh, last part of Geralt, the, the ah. Witcher saga, right? Okay. And uh, this game is expanding upon the Witcher universe in different ways. Because... Um, it's not a game about Geralt. Right. I mean, Geralt will appear as a character, as always important, but he's not the lead of the story. Mm. Basically, you can expect to meet um, different characters from the books and from the games, actually, which you might know already. Right. Uh, but also new characters that we have designed especially for this game. And you guys are also building a physical version of Gwent to be sold in stores, right? 
Oh, this this I don't know to be honest. No? I, know, I know that we have released packs uh, of uh, the actual printed uh, cards with the expansions for the Witcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you can still buy the expansions, uh, the uh, the um, retail versions with the cards in it. Right. Uh, but it's not this version. That's it's not this version okay. of changed abilities and all. Okay. Um, as far as I know, there are no such plans right now. But, you know, time will tell. Are there ways that you are planning to take advantage of the fact that you are digital and don't have to be tied to a physical mm-hmm. version for, the, for, oh. for like, gameplay yeah. uh, mechanics? Well, for sure. If you look at the abilities and how cards look like right now in the game, yeah. uh, we could have uh, left more space for the uh, illustration, right? Right. Because basically we don't have to put the text on the card. Right. Like you would have to with the uh, uh, actual retail version of the cards. Yeah. So we and have those to... illustrations are gorgeous. Exactly. So we wanted to, you know, to flesh them out instead of covering them with uh, too much text, and, uh, yeah. you know. And with digital version, we can do that. We're free to do that. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know if you saw the premium versions of the cards as well, but... Mm-hmm. Oh, you didn't? I don't Basically, think Basically, so. they are fully animated, oh, and me. they are, you know... Um, Oh, so those would be like special special unlocks in, a, in Ex- packs? Yes, rare. exactly. You yeah. have, you know, every card will have a normal and a premium version, and those premiums are really, really nice. I think... Um, if you look out of our booth after we finish this, you can see them on the wall. Oh, cool. But those are only the 3D versions. And actually, right now in-game, some of them already are animated. So you can expect, for example, when you have a Geralt card, that he's swinging his sword and cutting monsters on the card. Or That's cool. another one which I really like is the uh, frog from um, from the Hearts of Stone expansion. Uh-huh. Basically, it flips its tongue whenever you, you know, you oh, the card. So, yeah. So, cool. you're allowed four heroes in your deck, right? Yes. And uh, you can have multiple of them in your hand at any time? Yes. It depends oh. on uh, how you draw, basically. Right. And uh, as you know, there are some cards also that can uh, give you additional draw, so you can right. draw them in later. Yeah. I, I particularly liked all the cards that, that allowed me to... Uh, you know, dip back into stuff that's already been discarded in, yeah. into the graveyard. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it, it, there's so much strategy. I think it's a, yeah. I mean, you know. I think a lot of mechanics. We are uh, you, you might know from the original Gwen. Yeah, we have improved upon them, and we also uh, like to give them a little twist. Like you, you know, the sports card, right? The sure. one that destroys the strongest card on the board. Yeah. So with this, with the standalone version uh, Gwen, we um, basically came up with this other kind of card we called Plague. And it works exactly the same way, but it destroys the weakest card. Mm. So, you know, when you had a strategy uh, before that you might have placed a stronger card to kind of shield the weaker card from support, now it can work totally, you know, a different way for you. So you need to be very careful about how you play those. Very cool. I mean, I think, like I said, I think it's still very easy to get into Mm -hmm. the game because the rules are pretty much the same as they were in in the base game. Yeah. But these new abilities and new cards added, like, huge amount of depth to it and the deck building well I'm very excited to play more of it I had a, I, they had to tear me away to come in here and talk to you because yeah. I, I was I was one in one and we were into our rubber match but um, yes. when, when will this be released do you have a um, we, uh, two days ago on the Microsoft conference we have announced that the closed beta will launch in September uh, that is for PC and Xbox One okay uh, PS4 will follow soon after uh, later on, we will have an open beta as well, uh, but that it's yet to uh, be announced. And uh, the same with release date. We, we don't have it announced yet. Are you thinking this year, though? 
it's really hard to say. You know, it depends on how people will receive the game in the closed beta because, you know, as always, we want to listen to people yeah. and to their feedback and so on. So And balance. Really, yeah. Exactly. So right. it really depends on the feedback we get. Okay. Well, thanks for talking to me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah.